0: Hello, City First Church family, and everyone joining us online from all over. I am so glad that you are here with us today. You know, we're gathered in northern Illinois and southwest Florida, and literally everywhere in between. And if you're new with us, I just want to say thank you for joining us. We say this all the time everyone is welcome. And by the way, you are now family. You know, everyone needs a family, especially during a crisis. We need each other to get through this crisis together with faith and generosity. Now, how many of you right now, by upraise hand, wherever you're at, in your living room or watching on your smart device, would say that you thought the crisis would be over by now, right? Yeah, I mean, come on. Back in March, we were told that we were to stay in our houses for like two weeks. We thought, oh, two weeks, that's not too bad. Well, this has been the longest two weeks of my life, right? I mean, I realize that right now, both in Illinois and Florida, we're starting to make steps back to normalcy, but man, our world has a long ways to go. So let me ask you this question. Are you tired of reading about the coronavirus in the headlines every single day? Are you tired of wearing a mask? Are you tired of not being able to freely go to your favorite restaurants? Are you tired of trying to educate your kids at home? Like you're not a science major, or you don't have a degree in English, or in arithmetic, right? Well, are you fed up with all the politicians that are politicizing this whole thing? Are you tired of cooking, right? Some of you are like, I am so tired of cooking, can we please eat out? Are you tired of singing happy birthday while washing your hands every time? Are you tired of trying to do your job from your home and have Zoom calls where your kids are screaming in the background? Well, I'll tell you what, this whole thing is exhausting. Wouldn't you agree? In fact, I would say that we're on crisis overload right now. Some of us are actually burned out on crisis. It's interesting, I read this in the Harvard Business Review, and it says this about the crisis. We are dealing with the virus and the emotions it is creating. Negative emotions are every bit as contagious as the virus. Fatigue, fear, and panic undermine our ability to think clearly and creatively, manage our relationships effectively, focus attention on the right priorities, and make smart, informed choices. I would say this we're experiencing crisis fatigue. In fact, that's the title of my message today, Crisis Fatigue. Over the next three weeks, we're going to focus on combating the exhaustion that is coming from this crisis because it does not have to be a season of frustration and tiredness and emotional fatigue. Instead, I believe this wholeheartedly, this could be a season that Jesus helps us to thrive. Now, I was talking recently to a small business owner this week, and she told me that she's just feeling exhausted. And here's the reason why. Because she can't operate her business under normal conditions, and that's exhausting. Also, she's trying to keep all of her employees employed and being able to pay them. And sales are super unpredictable right now. And on top of that, she's a mom, and she's trying to keep her home life from becoming insanely chaotic. And she's just ready for this whole thing to be over. You know, the longer this thing drags on, the more exhausting it becomes. And that response that she had to the crisis is probably a response that most of us are having. We want this thing to be over. You know, crisis fatigue could be defined this way. And and I want you to just take a moment and see if you have experienced any of this. Emotional exhaustion. In other words, you think to yourself... I just can't deal with this right now. Or crisis fatigue is, is maybe manifested in reduced sense of personal accomplishment. In other words, some of us right now, we don't feel very productive. Or how about this? Mental exhaustion, right? You just feel tired all the time in here, no matter how much you're sleeping. Or how about this one? Decreased interaction with others. In other words, you feel isolated. Or the last one, crisis fatigue, could be literal, physical exhaustion. That you just, your body feels tired. And when you become fatigued, we as human beings, we tend to make poor choices. So when you're tired, you find yourself making poor choices emotionally, spiritually, physically, even relationally. And let me talk about the relational one for a moment. Next weekend, I've asked our friend Ryan Leek, who's a part of our City First communication team here, to talk about relational fatigue. I want you to invite as many people to watch it as possible, because right now, if you look at the data, the data will show you that there, in this crisis, there's an increased stress on relationships, on marriages, on friendships, on working relationships, on parent-child relationships. And so next week, we're going to talk about that. And unfortunately, this stress that we are experiencing in our relationships is creating a lot of poor choices. So whether you're married or you're single, invite people next week to listen to Ryan's message. It is going to be very, very helpful. You know, I want to share a story today about how the disciples of Jesus responded to crisis and I believe it's going to be helpful for us here 2,000 years later in 2020. So if you have your Bibles, turn them open to Acts chapter 4. But I want to give you a little bit of background on this story. First of all, this story takes place after Jesus has already ascended to heaven. The first century church is launched. And already, as we join this story, thousands of people have already made Jesus the leader and the forgiver of their lives. And so Peter and John, who are two disciples that had been hanging out with Jesus for over three years, they now are walking to the temple to pray. So as they're entering the city through a gate, they encounter a disabled man that has been crippled since birth. Now evidently this man had been there every single day begging for money. When this man saw Peter and John approaching, he reached out and he asked for money and Peter said something I think it was very interesting. He said this, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And at that moment Peter reached down and grabbed the man by his right hand and lifted him up and immediately this man's legs were healed. This man had been lame, disabled ever since birth. He had never walked a day in his life. And now all of a sudden he has strength that's coming to his legs miraculously, supernaturally because of Jesus healing him. And so he gets up. And he starts dancing. And he starts shouting for joy. And eventually, Peter and John and this man go walking into the temple. And all the people are amazed because, again, they had seen this man literally for decades sitting in the same spot at that gate, begging, begging for money. And now, here's this man dancing, walking, running around. So the the people were all like, what happened? At this point, Peter takes an opportunity to talk about Jesus. He preaches a message about Jesus and about Jesus healing this man, and that day the Bible says that thousands of more people were saved. A revival is happening in the city of Jerusalem. What a great day, right? Now, you might be asking yourself, well, where's the crisis in that? I mean, this is a story about crisis. This is a a miracle. Everybody's celebrating. Well, not everybody was celebrating. The religious leaders of that day, the religious leaders of the city who had crucified Jesus didn't particularly like the fact that Jesus was still being talked about. And so they arrested Peter and John and threw them in jail for the night. The next day, they brought Peter and John in front of the religious leaders, in front of, you could say, this council, or you could say it's a court, and brought them in, and they began to try them for heresy. And at that moment, the religious leaders said this, Peter and John, and I'm paraphrasing, shut up about Jesus. Otherwise, we're going to imprison you. We're going to beat you. We're going to punish you if you don't shut up about this Jesus. At that moment, Peter and John decided to still remain bold and proclaim the name of Jesus. The religious leaders let them go because they didn't have a legal right to keep them, but they threatened Peter and John with this tone. Basically, they said, if you keep on talking about Jesus, we're going to come after you and we're going to punish you. Well, Peter. And John returned back to the other believers in Jesus. And this is where we pick up in Acts chapter 4, verse 23 through 30. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. Now listen to this. Very important. This is right here, the point of today's message. What did they pray? They prayed this, O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? the kings of the earth prepared for battle, and rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. So this is the part I want you to listen to. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Hear that? Great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I want you to see something here, it's very important. Do not miss this. When the first century followers of Jesus found themselves in a crisis, listen, they didn't pray for safety, they prayed for boldness. That is so important. They didn't pray for safety, they prayed for boldness. They didn't pray, oh God, keep us safe. They didn't pray, oh God, make things easier. They didn't pray, oh Jesus, take away these terrible circumstances. But instead they prayed, make us bold. You see, I realize this is going to fly in the face of what you're feeling right now in the middle of the COVID-19 crisis. But I want us to pray for boldness. So many Christians right now across our world are praying for safety and they're praying that the circumstances would go away and that is not a bad prayer. But listen, that is a secondary prayer. That prayer is actually not as important as the primary prayer of saying, God, make us bold in the middle of this crisis. Our default prayer as humans is to pray for easier circumstances. But I'm going to challenge the city first. Let's pray for purpose, not just protection let's believe that God is going to give us purpose in the middle of this crisis. We should be praying prayers like, God, what is your purpose in this crisis? Give me boldness to live obediently to your word and to your mission. You know, it says in the book of Romans chapter 12 that we as Christians do not live the way the world lives. In fact, this is what it says. It says, don't live the way this world lives. Let your way of thinking be completely changed. I realize when I'm telling you to pray for boldness and not just safety, that flies in the face of common cultural thought today. But listen, we're people of God. We realize that there is a greater mission. And by the way, we have God on our side, and there is a greater power that lives in us and through us. Therefore, don't just pray for protection. Pray for purpose. You know what? No one would remember Mother Teresa if she just prayed for safety, if she just lived safe, if she just stayed in her home and said, you know what, I don't want to go out and help people. See, no one would remember Martin Luther King Jr. if he decided to stay comfortable. He didn't pray comfortable prayers. He didn't preach comfortable sermons. Instead, he said, God, there is a purpose inside of me, so give me boldness. Listen, no one makes a difference pursuing comfort. Only if you pursue a life full of purpose will you find a full life. I'm convinced one of the reasons why so many people are fatigued and exhausted right now is because in the middle of this crisis, they don't know what the purpose is. They don't know what their purpose is. They they just are waiting for it to get over. And when you don't have purpose, you will become emotionally exhausted. Now, I know that I'm making some of you very uncomfortable right now with this message. And can you listen close? That's okay. You can disagree with me. In fact, if you're uncomfortable right now with this message, that's all right. We love each other. Come back next week. You'll agree with that message. (laughs) But I'm saying this. We love each other enough to shoot straight. And to be able to talk about how the first century christians the ones that had hung out with jesus how they responded to crisis we can learn from them we can learn from the word of god and even if you don't agree with this this thought i think you would agree with this that we are created as human beings to be productive that god created us to be productive and the best way that you could be productive is to have a purpose. So, what purpose did the first century church pray for boldness for? What did they pray for boldness for? What was the purpose that they said, God, give us boldness to fulfill this purpose? Well, it's found in Acts chapter 4. And I want to just read it to you real quickly. After this prayer for boldness, the meeting place shook, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So, what did they do? What was their purpose? They preached the word of God with boldness. They prayed that God would give them boldness to proclaim the name of Jesus, both in word and in deed, both with their mouths and with their actions. Now, my friends, This is where the church needs to be bold and shine in the darkness. Right now, in the midst of a crisis, this is when we are described as salt and light. And by the way, when I say the church, I'm not talking the organization of the church. I'm talking you, the church. You and I are the church. The church is not a building. The church is a movement. In fact, in the New Testament, it's called an ecclesia. It means a movement of people. It is never just brick and mortar. In fact, what I love about this crisis, if there's any silver lining, it is this, is that the church has left the building. We're now in the streets. We're feeding people. We're taking care of the immunocompromised. We're helping the elderly. We're sharing the good news of Jesus. And so listen, right now it's where the church needs to be standing out. Not hiding out. This is where we need to be shining, not whining about the crisis. You see, we should be proclaiming the name of Jesus in all that we are doing right now. This is the time that we need to be sharing about the good news of Jesus. And here's why. People are searching. They're scared. They're frustrated. Their worlds have been turned upside down. It's a fact that people will come to faith most likely during a transition in life or a crisis. Transitions are times of uncertainty. Like if there's a birth or a death. If there's a hiring or a layoff. If there's a new season of marriage or maybe a pain of a divorce. If there's sickness. If there's a crisis. These are moments of uncertainty. And uncertainty makes us understand, as human beings, our lack of control, and it's actually a wake-up call. And I believe that the COVID-19 crisis has become a wake-up call for literally billions of people around the world. So as a church, now is the time to share about Jesus. The only one, Jesus, the only one that is certain during uncertain times. Now is the time to think about the people around us, to be able to share the hope that is only found in Jesus. To have boldness like the first century church. You see, they preached with boldness the name of Jesus. I want to encourage you. Start by sharing Jesus with just one person this week. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker, Maybe it's something like this. Maybe it's talking to somebody and saying, Hey, listen, is there anything that I could pray for you about? That's a great lead-in. To be able to see what that person is going through and to be able to join your heart and your faith with them and to pray with them about whatever they're going through. Now is the time for boldness. Now is the time that we don't just be comfortable. You know, growing up I read a series of books called The Chronicles of Narnia. And many of you are familiar with these books, and they were written many years ago by a Christian, a strong Christian. Actually, he was an apologist uh, by the name of C.S. Lewis. And you may have seen the movies or or whatever. Well, the Chronicles of Narnia actually have a much deeper meaning than just a fictional story. In fact, you will find out if you study about C.S. Lewis that he wrote these and. In the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan, the lion, represents Jesus, our Savior. And I love what it says in the first book of the series, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, as Susan is asking about Aslan, the lion. Mr. Beaver is talking, one of the characters in the story. He says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion, Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? Shall I feel rather nervous about meeting a lion? Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. You see, what C.S. Lewis is communicating here is this. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, he's not safe. In the sense that he's not comfortable. Instead, he calls us to a life of boldness and purpose. That he is a a king that is good, but he doesn't call us to a comfort zone. He calls us to world change. You see, he's a good king and he's with us at all times, but he's calling you in every season of your life to a life of purpose. As we close The first century church boldly proclaimed Jesus to everyone and even went one further step. Let's look at verse 32 in the book of Acts chapter 4. After they've prayed, after they've preached with boldness in the name of Jesus, It says in verse 32, all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who had owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. I'm not saying we do this, but what I am saying is this, this was how bold they were. They were so bold that they understood that their influence, their resource, everything they had, they used to point others to Jesus. They were unified. As a church, they weren't divided. They came together with the mission of proclaiming Jesus in the midst of this crisis. They realized that everything that they had belonged to God and was to be leveraged and used for his mission. You know, since the beginning of this crisis, I've said this over and over again. We will get through this crisis together with faith and generosity. This is not safe. That statement that I made is not safe. City first, we're not called to be comfortable. This is a calling of living at a greater purpose, a greater level of purpose. So let's turn our fatigue into faith. Let's turn our exhaustion into excitement about what God is going to do through us. Let's turn this predicament into purpose. Well, beginning on Monday on my social media platforms, we are going to post one purpose-filled action to do every single day. We're going to make it bite-sized. We're going to give handles to this. Every single day, Monday through Friday, I'm going to post one purpose-filled action that I'm going to encourage you to do. So will you follow me at at Jeremy DeWert, not only on Instagram, but also on Facebook. And every day I'm going to post something. And that is gonna be our one action step. And listen, you can do more than that. I'm just trying to give us ideas. How can we in the midst of this crisis be bold? How in the midst of this crisis can we turn our fear into faith? How can we turn our fatigue into action and purpose for God? This is where the church rises up. This is where we get to be the church. This is where the church has left the building and now is in the streets. And guess what, people are finding faith in Jesus. So you might say, how do I make Jesus the leader and the forgiver of my life? How do I find faith in him? Well, it's simply just praying a prayer and surrendering your life to him, acknowledging that he needs to be the one in charge, that he needs to forgive you of all the wrong choices that you've ever made and making him the leader of your life. And I'd love to just take a moment and lead you in this prayer. It's as simple as this, praying a prayer like this. Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me for all that I've done wrong. Take my life and lead it. I embrace your unconditional love. Thank you for loving me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, that was the most powerful life-impacting prayer that you have ever prayed in your entire life. And on behalf of Jen and myself and all of us at City First, congratulations. In a moment here, we're gonna give you instruction on how we can get you a resource to help you with this next step to help you with this life-changing decision that you just made. City First, let's be bold. City First, let's preach the name of Jesus. City First, let's make a difference in the midst of this crisis. Let's pray for boldness that God will use us. I love you City First. This is a great time for us to be the church. God bless and have a great week.